Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Knives, machetes, saws, and shears. Multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where it's our hope that the tips, tricks, and stories you hear on our podcast encourage you to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. On today's episode, I went solo. Uh, Walt was unable to uh, travel with me. I actually traveled down to the central Florida area uh, to interview a gentleman that sits at the top of the Florida State Big Buck Registry. He's number one. He killed a 206-inch deer back in 1999. He's a very humble. It's just to him, it's a, it was a great experience. Uh, he still just loves to hunt and get after it, and you could tell that in the podcast. A uh, great guy to be around. Uh, him and I actually uh, went and shot our bows and stuff at his pro shop. Uh, after the podcast so that was a great time I had a great time uh, visiting with him down there Uh, his deer wall as I would call it is super impressive he's got some uh, really really nice uh, Florida bucks uh, as well as quite a few uh, Midwest whitetails on his wall that were uh, really impressive Uh, he's absolutely super passionate uh, about hunting He uses some tactics that maybe a lot of people wouldn't use on public land here in Florida. Uh, He likes to run mock scrapes. He runs a ton of cameras. I think he ran over 30-something cameras last year alone. And he even uh, calls deer uh, here in Florida, which is uh, a tactic that a lot of people don't use because they think it scares the deer. At the end of the podcast, we talk about his whitetail hunt where he was able to take the 206-inch deer and actually where it is located now. But before we get to that episode, we have got to thank the patrons of this show. The patrons help make this show possible. Our Marco Polo group of patrons that we have is uh, growing rapidly. Uh, We have a great time over there. So, If you're considering joining our Patreon, you can go to www.patreon.com forward slash Chasing Tales Outdoors. We just gave away a tethered phantom saddle along with some accessories. And for this quarter, we are giving away a set of the Timber Ninja Carbon Fiber uh, C1s. Uh, If you'd like to check those out, you can go to the Timber Ninja Outdoors uh, website. 
Uh, I hope everybody is out there getting ready for hunting season. It's uh, fastly approaching uh, for actually a lot of states. And here in Florida, uh, there'll be people out hunting as early as the beginning of August, possibly late July. I know our season here is rapidly approaching as well. So I hope everybody's out there getting their bow tuned up and getting everything ready uh, for this upcoming season. And without anything else, uh, on to the episode with Mr. James Stovall. All right, everybody. I have made the drive down to Central Florida area to be with the man that sits at the top of the record books for the Florida State Big Buck Registry with a 206-inch buck, I believe, killed back in 1999, so it's almost been 21 years since uh, since that wonderful day for him. I brought him, I'm bringing him on the podcast to uh, talk a lot about his tactics and strategies that he uses on uh, a lot of the public land that he hunts down here. So I'd like to welcome Mr. James Stovall to the podcast. How are you doing, bud? I'm doing good, Chase, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah, well... It's funny that you uh, say that because I actually wanted to, I was talking to the other host, Walter, back in January, and I was like, hey, I was like, we need to get this guy on the podcast because I'd, I'd found your Facebook or something, and I I knew the name because I'd seen it in the buck registry because I'd looked at the buck registry before, and of course, it's like the first name you see if you pull up the buck registry, and I, and I knew you were semi-close to where I was at and I was like I was like hey we need to get this guy on the podcast because I checked out your Facebook stuff and you do a lot of stuff on Facebook where you're going over your mock scrapes and things that you like to use uh, for hunting mm-hmm. on public land down here I was like we need to get this guy on but I didn't want to get you on at the end of the season I kind of I was like we just need to kind of wait and then we'll get it to where it's kind of leading into deer season because we're not too far away. We're right. like 70-something days away from yeah, deer season down here. getting cranked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> everybody's out shooting their bows and getting all their equipment ready and tinkering with stuff that they kind of put off in the uh, in the off season. And I was hoping that Walter could come down here, here too, but unfortunately he's up in Tallahassee, so and he had some things going on, so he couldn't uh, get down here. But before we get started with the podcast, why don't you give us a – kind of a drone view of who James Stovall is and how you got into hunting. All right. Well, um, I'm 51. Hard to believe, but I'm 51 (laughs) years old now. And I started bow hunting in 1984. And so my my uncle and grandfather took me hunting. So my stepfather, he was, uh, unfortunately, he was killed at work when I was nine years old. And his brother and dad, um, which, you know, I've always considered them, you know, family because that's really all I, all I knew as a father figure and, and that side of the family. So once he passed, my mom purchased my first bow when I was 13 years old and I shot a lot. And then through the years, uh, I started carrying a gun at the age of 10 right the year after my um, father was killed and I would go with my grandfather and uncle and my grandfather he had a list 10 commandments of gun hunting of deer hunting safety rules 
and he wouldn't let me carry a gun until I memorized and answered all those questions correct. So uh, age 10, started out hunting the bombing range, Air, uh, Avon Park bombing range. And at 10 years old, he would walk me in, put me in a ladder stand, or actually it was a pine tree with nails driven <laughs> in it. You know, this was a long oh, yeah. time ago. And two by fours nailed across the limbs. And he'd say, sit there, don't move until I come back. Only shoot um, deer with horns. <laughs> and that was my first official hunt when I was 10 years old. And I was carrying a 12-gauge Remington 1100 3-inch Magnum Ooh. buckshot. <laughs> Still have it. That was my dad's. And then, so I started bow hunting at age 14 and loved it. Killed a doe the first weekend I went. And I was hooked on it. Loved uh, bow shooting a bow archery from the get-go. And that's to this day that's my favorite uh pursuit archery chasing whitetails and out of all the game animals you can hunt whitetails is by far my favorite and anymore i don't have when i go on trips i don't have to to kill one for it to be a success you know i enjoy the opportunity to chase big whitetails wherever i go or, or try to locate you know good whitetails and i don't have to like I said, I don't have to kill one to enjoy it. Right. You know, I've passed some pretty good whitetails um, locally here and Midwest, um, Ohio, Indiana, those places. And, you know, hoping for a big, huge buck, you know. So, anyway, I enjoy hunting. Um, I have two sons. My oldest one never took to it. And my youngest, uh, he's 12, and he's all about it. So he's always wanting to be in my hip pocket, and he's he actually when we shoot here in the yard, he beats me about half the time. <laughs> nice. Out when we shoot sixty yards, he always wants to have competitions, and he's well beyond his years in in shooting. My oldest son, he shot in four H, and he did well when he shot, but he just never took to the hunting side of it. So, okay. Anyway, nice. so I've been hunting since uh, I guess thirty four years or whatever bow right. hunting and a little bit longer gun hunting and like you i'm sure i think of it every day of the year you know right. can't wait to get back in the woods i'm always thinking about it yeah yeah i uh i me for sure i, I mean the same thing that's my favorite thing to do is go after whitetail i, I love killing with a bow but i'll still pursue them with a muzzleloader oh, or yeah. a rifle given the chance especially in a state like florida bringing up a state like florida why don't you give the listeners what your kind of view of Florida hunting is? Well, um, I've hunted all over the Midwest, um, somewhere around 13 different states, and I've killed some, you know, nice deer in the Midwest, but there's still nothing like killing a good buck here in Florida. I'd rather kill a 100-inch buck here than a 140 150 in the midwest it means more to me locating hunting and closing the deal on a a good public land florida buck with my bow than hunting the midwest and killing you know a bigger buck so i think hunting in florida is it's a lot more difficult especially public land with a bow 
to consistently year after year kill good bucks. And compared to the Midwest, um, the North, it's just, in my opinion, it's uh, the private land out there. It's a lot, I don't want to take away from the hunters out there, but it's a lot easier out there because most of the, the terrain is agriculture and then you have little wood lots and strips of woods so it's a little bit easier to get on deer locate deer out there than hunting down here on public land and it's all woods right you know whether it's cypress scrub oak you know pines palmetto flatwoods so you've got to get in there and dissect the woods and do your homework to uh successfully be consistent you know finding good deer right and Talking about consistency, how consistent would you say you are at being able to like locate a good buck down here in Florida and maybe be able to even pattern one? Because that seems to be like a big issue for a lot of people. And even myself sometimes is you'll, you'll catch some bucks and stuff on game camera, but then it's kind of almost like they just pass through that area. You're Mm -hmm. not, you're not really getting any consistency, maybe because of just the way the terrain is, they can pretty much bed anywhere in a lot of these places there's no i wouldn't i mean there are bedding areas but i wouldn't just say kind of like in the midwest that you were talking about there's no like defined cedar thickets real bedding areas in florida so what would you say your consistency rate is on being able to locate a decent buck and have an opportunity at at taking that deer well i've been uh pretty fortunate the last handful of years uh typically the bucks that i harvest those are the ones that I'm targeting. So going in, I I know what bucks I'm pursuing, and I've been fortunate enough to harvest, you know, some of those deer. Like you said, I will get that sporadic buck just cruising through, never never get him again on camera. I run a lot of cameras. Last year I ran more cameras than I ever have, and I think I ran 36 cameras. <laughs> And a lot of those are the inexpensive, you know, $30, $40 Tasco Walmart brand cameras. Right. And, you know, the LED, red LED lights. And they they're, they tell you what you need to know, you know. And I think the key, I give a lot of my credit or most all of my credit as far as locating bucks to game cameras, mock scrapes, active real scrapes and the use of uh, black widow deer lure scents um i would say the combination of my scents and the cameras and basically just boots on the ground you know getting in there and it seems like i have the same i do the same pattern every year on the areas that i hunt i know where the scrapes are and i go in there and, and just put my cameras out and i'll hunt or scout with my cameras for instance one management area i had six different areas that i was running cameras in last year and i had one buck that was probably in the teens mid-teens uh one night had pictures on him of him he just coming through and that's all last year it was really difficult in that one management area to get to find a good buck and the best buck that i had on camera was high 90s 97 98 inches right and i ended up harvesting him the within the first hour of the four-day hunt nice so i had him patterned 
um, coming in there. There was acorns on the ground, scrapes. He was hitting the scrapes, feeding on acorns, had does in there on acorns. So my biggest contributor would be scrapes and, and acorns. Those okay. are the two things that I key in on. And those are the two things, two places that I run my cameras. Scrapes primarily, but I'll also run them on food sources. And it's a little more difficult when there's an abundance of acorns. You know, the years that there's right. acorns everywhere. And that just spreads the deer out. I prefer the years that it's not a huge crop of acorns. And I can find that one live oak dropping those I call them football acorns, the oblong right. acorns. Uh-huh. And when I can find that one tree dropping acorns, it seems like that's just a magnet, you know, to to the deer. And if I can locate two or three of those trees and put cameras on them, along with running the cameras on the scrapes, um, then I can pinpoint uh, certain bucks, the buck quality that I'm looking for. And I try to target... Uh, high 90s you know 90 100 inch bucks right and i've i'll pass the even though it's state land management area and there's special op hunts so they have to have four points on the side and i'll pass the smaller sevens and eights because i kind of treat it like my own lease Mm -hmm. even though it's not because i look at those smaller bucks as next year and the next year's crop of shooters right and as I mentioned before, on a four-day hunt, if I don't kill one, that's I'm perfectly fine with that. Right. Um, I just enjoy getting out there and, and chasing them and doing all, all the homework. All that, it's not really work to me, the, the legwork, you know, the scouting and the hot summer days out there. It's a, really en- enjoyable for me. And then when I go out and swap all my cam- my camera cards out, come back, sit here at the kitchen table, get the laptop open, going through 30-plus cards, it's like Christmas. You know, it's <laughs> yes, it is. It's so exciting, you know, to, to see what you have. But I know that's a long answer. But uh, boots on the ground, uh, love scrapes, um, love running the cameras on scrapes. And that's where I get the most, uh, pretty much my buck inventory on all the scrapes. Okay. Well, was, let's talk about scouting because scouting plays a major role in being able to be successful in the woods. What does your postseason look like? Do you do postseason scouting for these deer? Um, not too much. I don't turkey hunt. Okay. Um, I've, I've shot a handful of turkeys um, throughout the years and went out there, picked them up, shot one, a good gobbler with my bow, never got the bug. Okay. Thank goodness. Right. Yeah. Another for obsession. my wife. <laughs> right. Cause I, I spent enough time and money on deer. I will leave some cameras out. Okay. During the, like after the season and I'll just replace the batteries, set them for one picture. So the batteries will last longer. And then I'll just leave a handful of them out in certain places to get an idea of what bucks lived mm-hmm. before they dropped their horns, which, bu- which bucks made it through the season. And then hopefully when I start getting out there in July to start putting out my new batch of cameras for this year, uh, then I'll go change out the batteries in those cameras and leave them. Other than that, I really 
like say after February, after right. say the Green Swamp West hunts are over. Okay. Uh, I really don't go back out there from like in March, April, May, June, July, and then I'll start going back out there maybe late July or August and start running. I'll put the cameras back on the annual scrapes that are every year, you know, active scrapes, trails, and then in September, October, I'll go out there and see what trees are dropping acorns, you know, and place them there. But other than that, I don't really do a lot of postseason right after right. scouting. Yeah, I'm kind of I'm kind of the same way. I'll do a little bit of scouting during turkey season. I'm not I turkey hunt, but I wouldn't call myself like a fanatic turkey hunter either. I know the uh, Walter, the co-host, he, he's he turkey hunted some, but then he got bit bad by the turkey hunting bug mm. this year. He got on he got in a good area and uh, there was a bunch of birds, and I mean, he was just he was ate up with it uh, this year. And I, I so I'm kind of the same way. Is in some of those months, it's just not enjoyable to kind of be out there. I mean, you're dealing with ticks, r- red bugs, all kinds of other stuff. And I kind of let like to let the deer rest for a while, just kind of let, let them get their minds off of hunting and all the pressure and let them like get healthy again because that's a lot a lot of that plays into what their antlers are going to be the next year and all that stuff so i'm, I'm kind of with you there and then i'll start kind of getting fired up myself kind of late july early august i'll get all my cameras out there i've had some cameras uh running a little bit but they were just from turkey season like i had some kind of out in roads from turkey season and stuff and uh, i actually checked one the other day because i'm like i'm gonna need to get this because i know the battery's got to be running low and i had a bunch of pictures and i actually had a really good buck just walk right past one of the cameras on the road so i was i was kind of that kind of got me fired up yeah like when you take that camera and you're like oh man that is a <laughs> that is a real nice deer uh, already at this point it was like the end of june and uh, i was like uh, I, I the bug was really starting to bite at me then i was like all right it's, it's time to get ready hunting season hunting season's coming and like i mentioned before it's it's not too far away right um so you mentioned that you'll start putting cameras and stuff out in late july early august now are you putting all those cameras out no um it'll take me a month probably to get all my cameras out and depending I have to wait until find out what permits I get, you know, whether it's a quota, regular quota or the special op hunts. Right. And then once I determine what permits I have, what areas I'm going to be hunting, then I'll go hit maybe one area, two areas, you know, with this heat, it's ridiculous, you know, and I've spent many of all day trips out there just miserable, Right. you know, (laughs) and so it'll take me probably a month to get all of my cameras out my camera trot line if you will uh-huh. and then so when i go and check the cameras I, you know i may not have check all of them in one day that's almost you know near impossible and then some i'll have some cameras out in one management area other cameras out in another management area so you know they're spread out a little bit right so what are you what are you hoping to get out of your cameras when you first put them out? Well, when I put them out, I, like I said, I put them out in late July. Um, I try to get them out on or before August first is my kind of target. Mm-hmm. And so when I get out there, most of my cameras then I put them on known scrapes, okay, or mock scrapes, 
and it might be a mock scrape that I made on August 1st, you know, or whenever I set the camera, or it might be a mock scrape that I made two or three years ago that now has become an active yearly scrape. And so when I go out there, the scrapes are all dead. You know, obviously the leaves are in the the scrape underneath the licking branches. So I take either my machete or find a stick right there close by and I paw all the leaves and debris out of the scrape, open them up larger than life. Mm -hmm. So they're eye catching to the deer and juice them up with the black widow deer lure put my cameras on them and then go to the next one okay what, and what black widow lure are you using at that time because i know they make different kinds yes there's my favorite is the black widow hot and ready triple x which is okay the doe and estrus right um black widow branch butter um that comes in a tube and i use that on the licking branches and it's it's like a a syrupy consistency and it's stronger than I thought it would be scent, but the deer, oh, they love it. <laughs> they, it's 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 potent, right? And it really draws them in there. So I'll put that on the licking branches, the leaves, and then inevitably, you know, it just drips into the scrape, which is it enhances the scrape. So Black Widow Hot and Ready Triple X. Uh, I'll use Hot and Ready regular standard Hot and Ready. I'll use matriarch that comes from the the I guess the lead the matriarch dough the old dough the branch butter uh, scrape master which is a combination of buck urine and dough and estrus urine okay. so it really gives the appearance that that scrape is being worked by a buck and a doe so those are kind of my go-to they have dominant buck they have straight doe pee scent but those are my go-to scents that I like using and you know I'll care I go through it like water <laughs> I'll use some of my scrapes I'll have scrape drippers where I'll put the scent in there and hang it over the scrape well above the scrape and pay close attention not to touch any of the licking branches directly over the scrape and but those are my go-to go-to scents and I've had uh bucks and velvet and does come in that night that same night that i've opened up those scrapes and the cameras that i run on scrapes i run them all on video mode so i get to see the deer's reaction to the scents okay. and i can honestly 100 percent say i've never had a deer booger on the, the black widow deer lure you know where they come in there and they didn't like the smell and they spook right Whatever they've got going on there at Black Widow, it's working. <laughs> right. You know, you can open up some scents. You open them up and smell them, and it might have a strong ammonia smell. And when I get my Black Widow bottles, I'll open them up and quickly and smell them. And it just smells like what you would think a deer, right? you know, should smell like. And I love that. That's that's my go-to scent and a huge contributor to my success over the right. over the years. Yeah, I've seen you uh, using those for sure in, in some of your videos on Facebook and things like that. So we're so you're making the scrape. So why don't you, if you could, break down your whole process of making that scrape 
set up to get pictures of deer. Okay. So I'll go in. I'm really scent conscious. So I wear my rubber boots. I never wear my rubber boots while driving. That's a personal uh, thing that I do. So my theory on that is back that my 106-inch Nebraska deer that I showed you over there, which was my first, my best deer at the time back in 96, I think, with a bow. Okay. I was very proud. I'm still (laughs) proud of him, you know, but that was my, my biggest bow buck to date then. And when we got out there, the first morning, we left the hotel, went to get gas. My buddy pulled up the gas pumps. I got out. I had my lacrosse rubber boots on. Got out, went to the store, got my little honey bun, my coffee, uh-huh. got back in the truck, walked down to my stand, and there was probably a few inches of snow on the ground, light dusting. Well, as it got daylight, I could see my boot tracks coming down through the snow. Well, that morning, I had a pretty nice seven point come walking through, and as soon as he hit my scent on my boots, he turned inside out. <laughs> And without a doubt, he smelt that, what I, I believe happened is he smelt that gas scent from the gas pumps and whatever scent was on my boots. And I think a lot of times uh, it's easy to think, okay, I'm wearing rubber boots, so I'm scent free. But keep in mind that during your everyday, you know, Monday through Friday, you go to the gas pumps, you're filling up your truck. You get back in, now you're placing the gas scents from the concrete around the pumps. Now you're placing that on your floor mats, your gas pedal, your brake pedal. Then if you drive in the woods with your hunting boots on, now you're transferring that minute gas scents from your floor mats, gas pedal, brake pedal, clutch, (laughs) whatever, onto your rubber boots. So that's, I'm real particular with my scent. So I'll keep my rubber boots in the back of the truck every time i take them off or put them on i'll spray them down with Cinaway spray so then walk in to the scrape i stay back you know 20 feet whatever 15 20 feet take my backpack off get my Cinaway spray i'll spray my boots it's, it's a little thing that i go through every time spray my boots real good to eliminate try to eliminate as much foreign scent as i can I'll wear rubber gloves. I'll find a stick or, like I said, my machete. If I'm using my machete, I'll spray my machete down the blade. Walk over, and I'll clear all the debris out from underneath the licking branch down to bare dirt where it's real visible, and I open them up larger than life, so it's real eye-catching to the deer. So it might be as big as three feet across the scrape right and then after i scrape all the leaves and debris out then i'll spray my black widow in there scrape master hot and ready triple x even that early i will still use doe and estrus triple x and and the scrape master which is the doe and estrus and the dominant buck urine and then i'll put apply my branch butter on there and then turn the camera on, get in front of it, make sure it's, you know, trigger. And I always try to, before I walk off, let it catch a video or two of me 
which basically time stamps it, you know, right. so I know it's working. And then when I walk up on it to check it, I always walk in front of the camera and let it video, get a video of me. So make sure everything's working and go to the next one. And I'm real excited. They have Black Widow came out with snap caps for this year. Okay. Which has interdigital gland and uh, testosterone. Okay. And so I'm really excited about using those. And they're just little snap caps that you open, unsnap it, and you push it down into the dirt, level with the dirt. And it's like a gel, real thick gel. Okay. So I'm planning on using, use, trying those out. Right. I actually have up on my Georgia lease, I went up about eight weeks ago and I opened up a mock scrape underneath a magnolia uh-huh. and put a camera on it. And I used those snap caps in there. And like I said, this was back in June, maybe May, late right. May. And tied the limb down because the limb was head high. Mm-hmm. I always carry string in my backpack. So I tied it around the, the branch and then tied that limb down to provide a licking branch for the scrape tied it off opened it up so i i'm going to have some intel on those snap caps okay i should i'm hoping (laughs) right before before you try them down here yeah well that's good well talk about trees are there specific trees that you like to target to make your mock scrapes on um depending on the the management area that i'm hunting uh green swamp west um, I found them under magnolias, scrub oaks. I've even found them underneath uh, low-hanging cypress limbs Okay. off of a cypress tree. But typically, uh, it's all terrain, individual ter- terrain-based. You know, Green Swamp West, like I said, is there's a number of different trees that uh, I found them under. A lot of scrub oaks, oak limbs, right. low-hanging um, live oak limbs. And uh, Panasofsky magnolias is the is the big draw. There's I love the terrain there. The mag, magnolia cabbage palm hammocks surrounded by cypress get out there on those little islands. And so there, the dominant scraping tree are the magnolias. So as I'm walking through the woods, anytime I see a magnolia with low hanging limbs, I'll just draw i just draw into it go over there and look and not every time but a lot of times i will find you know a scrape underneath those trees and they will also they like to rub those soft bark trees whether it's a cypress a magnolia a cedar tree um bucks tend to like to rub those over the the harder oak trees you know Mm -hmm. so it's it's uh Depending on what area I'm in, is what trees I'm kind of looking for. Okay, so how, how do you? So you, you found a tree that you're kind of looking for. What makes you go? This would be a great spot to put a scrape. Um, a lot of times it's uh, historically, I just know there's bucks, you know, a good deer history, you know, in that uh-huh. area, and a, a lot of times the scrapes that are in that general area. There may not be a, a good tree for a stand right there. So, like for Panasofsky, for example, a few years ago, 
there was a magnolia, big magnolia, and there was another magnolia right next to it that offered just incredible coverage for a lock-on in there. So what I did is I, there was no licking branch. There was no limb low enough for a licking branch. So I tied it, tied it down, and I didn't have rope on me then, and I used vines. I walked around and found vines and just twisted and intertangled those vines around the branch and then slowly brought it down and then twisted that vine around the base of the magnolia, the you know, the core base, and then intertwined that vine in there, and that held that licking branch down to, to provide a licking branch for that scrape. That was probably three years ago, maybe four, and every year it's an active scrape. Okay. And I'll go to that scrape and put a camera on it, open it up, like I explained earlier, and every year I get bucks on it. So so I will make a mock scrape possibly where there's a good ambush spot next to it. Okay. Or I've made mock scrapes in areas that new areas that I've gone to uh, to scout and I may not know where all the scrapes are, so I'll just it's like, ooh, there's a perfect scraping tree right there. And I think deer, bucks and does will utilize that licking branch year round. Right. So the cameras that I've left in the woods, you know, post-season, after the season, I've had does come up to the scrapes throughout the year, and they'll smell the licking branch. It's kind of, I think it's like a communicator. Right. You yeah, know, like a little calling card. Yeah. Let them, I'm in the area. Yeah. They'll chew on it. They'll rub their interdigital gland um, or preorbital gland on the leaves, chew on it. And, yeah, it's like a calling card. And so even though that's not an active scrape, it's an active licking branch, per se, you know, through the year. And even during the season, you know, people will say, well, the the scrapes are dried up. Well, that could very well be. And there's no fresh paw marks in the scrapes. But the cameras have told me that bucks and does – There'll be tracks in the scrape, but even though there's no paw marks and they're not actively keeping the scrapes cleaned out, there'll be tracks in the scrape, and my cameras will tell me, well, they're still coming up there and pausing and smelling that licking branch and then moving on. Right. And so that's why I love scrapes, because a lot of times when a deer comes up, their focus is on that scrape or the licking branch and it gives me that opportunity to draw and their focus is primarily taken away from me they're in la la land you know working that (laughs) licking branch or scrape and then also um over the years i found that they don't they may not react to the sound of my bow going off as as much like if a deer's walking through and i have to stop them yeah well they stop and now they're on alert alert. (laughs) and then when i shoot they have a more tendency i believe to to duck the arrow or or drop and whirl then if they stop on their own you know and feeding or working the licking branch and then you shoot they're less likely i think because you don't give them that extra step to be on alert right 
Yeah, that makes sense. All that uh, makes sense. So are you just primarily hunting over scrapes? Uh, scrapes and food sources. Okay. And a lot of times it's a combination. There's acorns and then there's a scrape. Could be a scrape right there by it. Okay. Or a scrape, a mock scrape that I made right by a traditional dropping white oak or not white oak but live oak the football acorns yeah all right so let's break this down some so you go out you've you've made your mock scrape getting pictures of deer how do you decide when you're going to hunt over that scrape because you said you got multiple cameras out on these management areas and you're looking at each one of these cameras which one tells you okay i need to be over at this spot well <clears throat> Whichever one has the biggest, <laughs> biggest, <laughs> biggest bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, the primarily the spots I hunt are four day hunts. So okay. once those dates come, I mean you have to play the hand that you're dealt. Whether the whether it's a heat wave, pouring rain, storming, you know, hopefully it's cold weather during those hunt. Basically, I will key in on the the scrapes that are telling me the best intel. You know, I just let the cameras dictate where I go. And how often are you checking these cameras? I try not to get in there. It's it's tempting, you know, to really want to get back in there. I try to let them go at least a week. Okay. Um, and then when I go in there and check them, still scent conscious, and I spray my boots down before going up there. I'm wearing rubber gloves, touching the camera, and opening the camera up, and then reapplying my scent to the to the scrapes but about a, I try to go a, a week in between okay um, especially as it gets closer to the four-day hunt then I have to I might have to check them you know I work every third day so sometimes I'm in there you know checking them right <laughs> one of the two days that I'm off right yeah especially when like you said it seems like a lot of these hunts in Florida or your like three and four day hunts there there's some management areas that you can just walk on to but mm-hmm. a lot in my area are just all quota hunts like the limited entry quota right. hunts that you're okay I got three days to hunt so do you think the so when for those are you going out and putting out mock scrapes even late July August yes. if you know that you've got them so all of your management quota hunts you're going out yes. late July early I, August I and try setting to, it up yep I try to get them out there as early as I can and that also helps to other hunters it's public land so other hunters that are going out there typically they'll oh somebody's got a camera here and they'll you know they won't put their camera on that scrape right (laughs) you know so it early bird (laughs) right yeah yeah you get there before they do and they're like oh somebody's already hunting here for, for the most part so you've been running scrapes for a long time in cameras what times are you seeing deer on these scrapes because you hear a lot of different conflicting stories about scrapes where a lot of it's nighttime activity and th- is, is that true yes typically like late summer most all the action is either mostly at night and then it seems like in early october say panasofsky mm-hmm. and i don't mind you know <laughs> throwing the names out there yeah i don't i don't mind um, Panasofsky, it seems like early October, the bucks all of a sudden will start hitting them during daylight. And then it's, you know, your typical 
prime eight seven thirty eight nine o'clock in the morning or you know five six o'clock in the evening you know your first couple hours last couple hours of daylight right and but occasionally i'll get like when it heats up closer to the rut then it's game game on and i've had deer at all hours of the day you know hitting big bucks right. coming to the scrape at you know 12 30 1 30 and it has the temperature on the camera and it's 86 <laughs> degrees right. you know and it's i think when it's on it's uh i try to stay in the stand as long as i can you know and several all-day sits on the four-day hunts you've got to take right. advantage of those hours and um and try to put yourself in the best tree that you can yeah. and yeah. by that is you know the cameras dictate yeah the and wind the, direction the obviously cameras, yeah wind direction yeah i never never really asked that so i guess like you said wind direction is going to play a role in what scrapes you're going to hunt and how so you go out to you said panasovsky how many mock scrapes are you putting on that visa public oh goodness um just off the top of my head I might, I think I have 10 or 12 mock scrapes. Okay. And every mock scrape that I've made doesn't always work. <laughs> right. You know, I've struck out, you know, a lot on those. But the scent, the black-witted deer, usually brings them in. Okay. And then my opinion, the way I look at it, once a deer comes in, starts hitting the licking branch, they're applying their scent. Well, now it's turned into a natural scrape. Yeah. Then the next deer comes in, and then the typically the young bucks. So, Panasofsky, for instance, September, August, September, and I'm like, I'm not going to get frustrated. You know, I'm getting 70, 80 inch deer, and I'm like, nope. Historically, you know, I'm not going to get down because. The end of September, early October, all of a sudden, boom, you know, the three and four-year-olds start hitting the scrapes. Right. And then then they, by mid-October, boom, daylight pictures. And I enjoy the, the early October. Two years ago, I killed a 99-inch buck, eight-point, um, eight and he started hitting the cameras, the scrapes, a few days before the hunt in daylight oh, nice. so i was like well <laughs> it's time to get in that stand right and it ended up being my that's my favorite spot <laughs> my go-to spot and a quick little backstory on that i had a, a really good friend of mine a firefighter in sarasota he passed away with cancer oh. that year two years ago and he called me up and he told me he offered the permits to me, and that was one of the permits that uh, that I acquired from him and okay. killed that eight point. So that was that was an emotional hunt for me on that one, and then the uh, the hundred nineteen inch buck that I killed two years ago, that permit um, was also his. Okay. And he told me in the conversation that last conversation I had. He said, James, do me a favor. And I said, Bill, what's that? No problem. What's that? He said, shoot a big one for me. <laughs> and so it was, oh, it was real emotional when I shot that deer and, and recovered him. I felt like Bill was on my 
shoulder, you <laughs> right. know, right there with me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting in your house, and you've got bucks from Lake City all over uh, the place, like you, you Ohio, Illinois, Kansas, and then you've got like a little, or I, I say little, but you've got a shrine of your Florida deer, and you've got a bunch of stud uh, Florida bucks up there as well. Uh, w- did you kill those over scrapes, or were those feed trees, or the first one there, uh, ten point hundred and fourteen? Uh, that was buck sign and acorns. Okay. And he was just coming through there and feeding on acorns. The next one, um, 113 and 7 eighths, eight-pointer, that was hunting private land down in Mayaka City back in the okay. early 90s. Right. That was a uh, cow pasture. Uh, <laughs> poked him with a rifle at 200 yards. So, right. Um, the, the next two scrapes. Okay. The 124-inch 10-point and then 119-inch 10-point uh, scrapes and acorns. Uh, okay. Both of those bucks were with does, and the does came in and were feeding, and the the bucks came in behind them. And the first one, the 124-inch the 10, I watched him for 25, 30 minutes within 30 yards. Oh, wow. And the doe was feeding, and he was on red alert the whole time and just facing me, coming closer. He never fed. He was always head up, head jerking around, ears moving the whole time like little radars. Right. And he finally got in. I shot him at like five yards. Oh, wow. And basically right up underneath me, um, he went about 25 yards, went right through his heart and um i watched him fall and then the the other one the 119 inch 10 point same thing doe came in i drew on him three times the third time i took the shot the first time was like 35 i didn't like the angle i'm like no i'm not going to force the shot because the does 15 yards feeding happy so i let down he worked his way in i drew on him again at 20 25 yards had a little opening when he walked through it, and I didn't want to force it through that little opening. Be patient. I let down. He turned around, and I shot him at probably 12 yards. Oh, wow. And um, and that was the permit that Bill gave me. And um, it was it was a flood of, oh, it was, I'm going to change the subject because <laughs> I'm going to get emotional now. Okay, but so you're saying you shot 12 yards, 5 yards. How, how far are you setting up off of a scrape? with your stand um typically i like a 12 yard shot (laughs) (laughs) um i would say within 25 yards right uh the favorite my favorite spot and pan i have the same tree that i always get in i have a scrape about 22 yards i have another scrape that's about 40 yards and then i back at my eight o'clock position I have a scrape over there about 30 yards. Okay, so there's a lot of scrapes yeah. in that area. And I'll run a camera on, on each of them. And some some scrapes, I'll get a mature buck on one of them or maybe two of them, but not this one. Okay. You know, so the bucks not necessarily are hitting every scrape in there. That's why I run cameras on <laughs> on every scrape I can find Yeah. Th- for the most part. So that's kind of like a scrape hole 
and then also has acorns in there and the acorns are dropping 15 yards you know from the stand okay so seems like a, a money setup is if you can get those acorns dropping and your scrapes, scrapes. at the same time because you I mean, with acorns, it's obviously drawing the does 100%, mm -hmm. and the deer and the bucks are going to feed on the acorns as yeah. well. But I'm sure those bucks, if they know that that tree's dropping, they're going to be circling right. downwind of those areas anyways, just constantly checking for does at the same time. When is when is your rut down here? I know Florida is all over the map for, right. for rut dates, so is there like a kind of a defined rut down in this area? Well, you can pretty much hunt the rut i believe year round here in florida right. you know what is today the 13th 14th yeah. of july yep. and south florida you know they're probably rutting close to now or yeah they're getting ready to amp yeah. up to rut but the places i hunt like panasofki uh it's really good scrape hunting early october i've uh i've physically seen bucks with does around the 10th of October in there while I'm out scouting. Um, I've seen chasing in mid-October. Probably late October through mid-November, you know, and right around Halloween, the closest you can get to Halloween, the better. Okay. About six years ago, November 1st, it was like 50 degrees when I left the truck. Probably to this date, November 1st, I believe it was maybe 2013 or so. Best day that I've ever had in the Florida deer woods. Oh, wow. I sat all day. I was sitting on like two-liter bottle size rubs on magnolias in there. And I ended up that November 1st day passing two bucks in the 90s, seeing, I think I saw 11 deer total and six different bucks something like that okay. past two pretty good bucks first day i was thinking man if it's first day if it's i'm seeing this much action what does day two three and four <laughs> right. hold and plus i was sitting on the the big buck sign yeah and so i i opted to pass those two bucks and i ended up not feeling a tag on that hunt <laughs> which was fine yeah, you yeah, know yeah. Even though I didn't kill one that day, that in my mind, that was still probably the best day I ever spent in the woods because I saw chasing. I saw um, two bucks posturing up on one another. I was sitting on a feed tree, plus there were scrapes. One deer, one of the bucks snort wheezed at the other one. A doe came in, peed. She left. Short time later, a little six-pointer came in. And I, and I said to myself, he's going to go over and smell where she peed and lip curl. I said that in right. my head. He walked over there, smelt where she, exactly where she peed probably an hour before, <clears throat> stuck his nose up and lip curled. And so I saw two bucks sparring, two little bucks okay. sparring. So I saw a, just a variety of deer activity that you don't typically get to yeah. see. And sat all day and i probably didn't go an hour between deer sightings you know deer, deer were just moving around it's cool weather prime time to be in the woods so okay so uh, to further answer your question so there i would say 
starts ramping up middle October through second week of November, that three, four week period, peaking around November 1, Halloween, Green Swamp West, on the other hand, I would say that around the first of the year, mid, mid-December, they have their second archery hunt, mm-hmm. and I've shot several deer uh, calling them in, whether it's uh, with the horns okay. running, or I called one in, uh, I gave him the horns, he looked, he was 150 yards away, he looked, kept going, walking across the Palmetto Flat, gave him the grunts. He turned, looked, kept going. He's 100, 150 yards out. It's like, dead gum. Gave him the snort wheeze. He stopped. His body turned dark. Pinned his ears back. Turned around in his tracks. Constantly started licking his nose. His tongue was just licking his nose. He came all the way into 30 yards and shot him. (laughs) So, um, real responsive to calling mid-December, um, all three gun hunts. And that's on public land, yes. right? Because you'll get a lot of people like, oh, the deer don't respond to no. antlers and grunts. And I, I've had them respond to grunts, but I, I mean, I wasn't hunting public land then. I was hunting some yeah. private stuff and they would, they would be on a full sprint and I'd grunt at them or whatever. And they'd stop on a dime and then come charging, charging in, but uh, a lot of guys I think are real, not really receptive to calling because they hear all these stories about, oh, you're just going to scare everything in the woods away. But you found that yeah, no. not to be true. I joke around with my buddies and I, I say I'm a one-man band <laughs> up in the tree because <laughs> I will have my grunt tube, I'll have my horns, I'll have my can call, and then I have, you know, I just do the snort wheeze mm-hmm. with my mouth and I will see little bucks or does, and then I will grunt or can call just to see what reaction I get out of them. Okay. And a lot of times, I've, there'll be does within 30 yards, and I may grunt or can call, and I believe they can hear it, but sometimes they don't even, they just write it off. Yeah. Other times, they will look up, maybe come and you know, closer to me looking around, but I love calling. I mean, I've had really good success rattling. You know, I might have a response one out of 50 rattling right. sequences, right? you know, or a hundred rattling sequences, <laughs> but I know it works. Yeah. I like to blind call. A lot of people may be hesitant. I've had people tell me they don't like calling unless they see the deer. Right. But about every... 20 minutes or so, I'm doing something. Okay. Grunt, can call, a blind snort wheeze, or tickling the horns. Because my way of thinking is, 20 minutes ago, a buck cruising wasn't in earshot of my calls. Well, now he may be close enough to hear. Right. You know, and he's either going to continue what he's doing or come and investigate. So I like to do something about every... 20 minutes okay yeah you don't hear that a lot from florida hunters yeah so i've actually i don't know too many that i've heard now i, ha- I have some buddies that will because they get bored they'll, they'll yeah they'll and, I, and actually there's a story and i, I ended up missing this deer because my uh, muzzleloader was off 
um, like like 12 inches whenever I shot. But my buddy, me and my buddy were hunting this stretch. And it was, this, it was kind of this bigger open stretch, but it's just a way you could see, kind of like get an idea of what the deer are doing. And when they're chasing does, they chase deer across this stretch. And it's a long stretch. So he's like, hey, I know you're going to be set up over here, but do you mind if I set up like a couple of hundred yards down the way? Because with a muzzleloader, I mean, two, 200, past 200-ish, you're not really probably going to take the shot. And they're, if they're running, trying to get them to stop, take quick shots, it's difficult to do. So I was like, nah, man, you can, you can set up down there. So he's setting up, and I've actually – and I was actually seeing deer a bunch that day, like chasing. But where he was, he was like tucked in kind of behind this tree. So he really couldn't see what was going on much further uh, to the south of where he was. And I was, I, and I had seen a bunch of action, but he hadn't seen anything. So he was sitting in a stand and he had his can. He's like, I'm just going to just start turning this can over. So he turned it over six or seven times. And I'm sitting down at the bottom. I didn't know he was turning the can. And I look up and about, a hundred yards or so away from me because he was to the north of me. So the deer was, had heard it and was coming in from the south, kind of downwind. He was, I guess he was coming downwind to, to check to see, and he kind of steps out and he's like looking in the direction of my buddy. And it, I mean, it's, this is probably 120, 125 inch eight point that steps out, just giant nice, deer. Nice buck. And uh, so he steps out and like, oh shoot, he's there. And we had like this little spot in the center that we're like, okay, if it's on this side, then I'm shooting. If it's on that side, then you're shooting. And he stepped out on my side and I was like, okay, so I'm getting ready to shoot. Well, I guess he had turned and gotten downwind to my butt because the wind was actually blowing kind of that direction. And he like take, starts taking off and I yelled at him. I just yelled. I was just like, hey, yeah. just to get him to stop. Because sometimes you just got to be real loud, especially yeah. when they're in the full sprint. He stops. I'm on him. Take the shot. He spent, spun around, went back in the woods, and uh, I'm like, I was like, I don't know if I hit that deer or not. And I'm, my buddy's like, my buddy was even, and he saw it all go down. Like he saw, like when he saw, he saw the deer step out, and he thought when I yelled, I was yelling his name to to take the shot. I was like, no, no, I wasn't yelling for you to take a shot. <laughs> and uh, so the deer run off. We went, we waited for a little while. He's like, I, I didn't really hear you hit it. I was like, I, I don't know. So we went down there. We're looking. We never could find any any sign of blood. So I'm like, okay. Well, I was like, I guess I just missed him because I rushed a shot, whatever. And then I took my muzzleloader home and shot it. And then it was way off. It was like 12 inches off at 100 yards or something. And I was like, well, that might explain why I missed the deer. Or I I probably would have missed either way. I mean, it was it was a big deer because he's like, man, he's like that was a really big deer that you missed. And I was like, yeah, just keep rubbing. Yeah, it. rub <laughs> it in. Just keep rubbing. <laughs> and he got to see it all. So it wasn't even so even. So he's back at the the fire station because he's a firefighter too. So he's telling them all about how I missed this deer, <laughs> this big huge. I was like, the gun was off, the gun was off. I swear. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, and I was like, and he's like, yeah, I was I was turning my can. He's like, I had just done it. Like he said, I had literally just done it like a couple of minutes ago. And like I said, that deer came in down and he was looking dead in the direction where that noise was coming. I was like, and that was a big deer. And I'm like, well, obviously calling will work it may not work every time in florida yeah. but it does work I w- so and what you're saying kind of goes along with that it was like it's just another tool in the tool bag that you can use right. to make you more successful especially on public land here in florida where it's already the odds are kind of stacked against you and you're just using all of these strategies to give you more success right yeah just a, a tool in the tool bag yeah and i try not to over call i try to give them just enough to tweak their curiosity because i believe deer are curious and and creatures of habit you know Mm -hmm. choosing the path of least resistance and 
and that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I love calling. I've had some good responses. Yeah, yeah, because I've even seen, like we talked about on a prior podcast, is like even their curiosity, like if you're using a climber, like going up the tree in a climber, making that noise. I don't know if it sounds like a buck rubbing on a tree or whatnot, but then get to uh, to the top and you look down and there's like a deer underneath mm-hmm. your stand from here in that climber. It didn't spook them. Like they were, heck, I had them coming up and they were just kind of like sniffing around the tree where that noise was being made. Um, and I was like, well, uh, they, they're definitely curious animals for sure. But, and I, I believe like some of these big bucks, like they're, they're definitely weary as well, but heck, if everybody believes that calling doesn't work, then they're not getting pressured with a bunch of calls down here. So that probably helps as well. There's yeah. probably not a lot of people using calls. So they probably are more like, oh, I don't, I don't. it's not like something like you hear the horror stories in like Michigan and places like that where everybody's like breaking their, the rattling antlers out and there's so many hunters stacked up in a in a small area. Now, do you feel like the public land gets pressured hard down here? Definitely. Certain public land areas get hunted harder that's why i prefer the special opportunities right you know there's fewer numbers and so it's a it's a better experience overall better opportunity and but that being said there's not deer behind every tree right you know i mean you still have to go out there and if you want to be consistently successful and i enjoy it you know i enjoy getting out there and, and scouting and running cameras but to be that's what you have to do to be successful in those short four-day hunts you know you and i i try my best to have target bucks in mind so when i go to a stand for the most part i know what bucks i'm after you know the eight point that uh i killed two years ago I made a post on on my Facebook, and I'm electronically challenged per se. <laughs> I don't edit any of my videos. I try to make them as short as possible. Right. And then I just post them right to Facebook. And the the one buck I killed that on Bill's permit, uh, I thought it was a seven pointer, and I had my eight point was my best deer in there. He was like 99 inches. And then the seven point, he was framed the same. He only had, but he didn't have a G3 on his one side. Okay. And, but framed pretty close to the other buck. So when I shot him, I thought he was my seven. And then when I got down, trailed him, found him, he had a little cabbage palm over his rack. And I picked his rack up, shook the cabbage palm off. Mm -hmm. And that G3 popped out on the other side. And I was like, holy mackerel. You know, this is my good eight. Right. The sit in the seven. You know, this is my number one target book that year. Yeah, that's always nice. (laughs) But, and as far as calling, I think it has a lot to do with the time of year. You know, the the demeanor, where they are in the stage of the rut, the pre-rut, whatever. As it gets closer, their testosterone is increasing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while, like say pan, say early October, my calling may not call in my target buck but halloween day i may do a calling sequence and he's all jacked up on testosterone and comes crashing in you know looking for that those two bucks fighting or or whatever but so i think it's the timing the the mood that they're in 
And so my advice would be not to call too much, but just give them a little bit, you know, every 20, 30 minutes, mm-hmm. because 20 or 30 minutes ago, like I said, a buck might have been out of earshot. Right. And he's just cruising through the woods doing his thing. Now he's 150 yards closer, 200 yards closer than he was 20 minutes ago. Now call, he hears it. You know, there's a chance that he's going to sneak in and, and check it out. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it makes sense. And like you said, you've been successful with it. So that uh, that always helps when there's success. But people need to keep in mind that, like I said, it's not going to work every time you do it. And uh, that's just one of the things going into it that, that helps you be more successful. And Heck, I, I might start calling more now. <laughs> now that now that you're telling me that you've had some pretty good success uh, with calling for sure. What about we haven't mentioned bedding or anything like that on this podcast yet? And we've mentioned a lot about hunting food source, some food sources, hunting your scrapes, and we've all me and Walter. We've kind of always been like it's just so hard for bedding because it seems like they can almost bed anywhere. Yeah. And there's certain areas that that look like bedding, but they're huge. They, they're huge. They're yeah. not just like little pockets of bedding. Right. So do you focus on that at all? No. Uh, in the Midwest, certain places that I hunt, you know, I try. There's like cedar thickets, you know. Right. And you just don't go in, down into the cedar thickets because that's you know they're bedding. But here, I mean, I think. I, you touched on it earlier they can bed anywhere you know right. to me it all looks the same it's thick yeah they can bed in sawgrass they can bed in palmetto patch they can bed in the thick scrub oaks and palmettos they can bed out in the middle of a uh, palmetto pine flatwoods you know so i don't really even consider you know bedding areas versus you know or wonder i wonder if this is a bedding area right because I think they can, they'll just lay down wherever. Yeah. yeah you know, for the most part. Right. Because you got, I know you got a lot of Midwest guys and stuff that they're talking about hunting like specific buck beds and things like that. And I'm just like, that's just not a thing here, really. I mean, it's just, I don't know that I've ever been able to locate a specific buck's bed and to say that he's using that bed enough for me to go in there and try to hunt it. And I would think it would be even just difficult to even get in on a bed quiet enough on a deer here in Florida, uh, just cause it, it's hard not to make noise uh, right. and to be able to sneak in on something that's you think that maybe bedded 30 yards away. And then some guys are hunt, hoping that they're just going to, they get in there early enough where they hope that the buck's going to come bed and they're just waiting the buck out mm-hmm. to when he gets up to move around throughout the day. And I haven't really come across anybody in Florida that's ever been able to tell me a story of them hunting like specific buck beds for deer or, a lot of people aren't even hunting specific deer <laughs> for yeah. the most part. They're just going out and like, oh, this looks like a good area. There's some good sign here. And they shoot whatever buck kind of walks in. Um, but, but when you're running cameras like you do, then you can be like, oh, yeah, I, I recognize that deer. That's that, mm-hmm. like I said, that's that seven. That's that eight that I've been that I've been seeing a lot. And you can kind of make a pattern because I think that's a lot of what it is, is you're, you're trying to pattern these deer. And it seems like it's a little bit easier for you whenever you're running your mock scrapes and yeah they're like drawn that. drawn to them you know certain spots well what would be some advice that you would give to someone that is just getting into hunting being scent conscious 
don't wear your hunting boots driving like okay. I've touched on before. Scent away spray, control your scent, pay attention to the wind, uh, boots on the ground. Right. Try to spend as much time as possible before your hunts, scouting, finding food sources, your obviously your scrapes, and and then if you're just starting to get into hunting, just have fun and don't <laughs> right. set your sights too high. And I'm not one to criticize someone for shooting a small buck just because I wouldn't target a you know a certain size buck doesn't mean that the next hunter you know needs to have the same criteria as me right you know and don't set your sights too high be conscious of it's really not about killing an animal punching a tag per se just go out there and have fun and try to learn from other people. My mom always told me, learn from other people's mistakes. Right. So maybe you won't make the same mistakes. And so, you know, just try to get as much information as you can from friends, other hunters. And a lot of hunters are real hesitant, you know, to, to tell you their secrets or their, their honey holes. And... I've told many of people, uh, let them sit my stands, my trees, you know, if I don't have a hunt or if it's a young hunter, uh, kids I've sat, I've told dads, Hey, took them in there. This is good spot. Right. Let your son hunt here on the next hunt. And one elderly gentleman, he's a retired Hillsborough County, uh, deputy. He hunts Panasofsky. And I've become friends with him. And one year he was like, James, I'm not finding any sign. Of course, he can't get around, you know, <laughs> real good. And, you know, I told him, I said, come on. So I showed him a pretty easy spot to get to. And he ended up killing a seven point that year off of that spot. So, and he hunts it. He said, do you mind if I hunt that spot? No, have at it. <laughs> right. You know, I've got a bunch of spots. So I don't mind helping people out and, and showing them, you know, and that's, that's how you learn, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes sense. Find, find somebody that can be a mentor for you and kind of help with the learning curve. Because I mean, think about how long did it take you to, you to get to where you're at now? Oh, thir- uh, <laughs> well, I'm 50, almost 52. So, <laughs> right. And I'm still learning yeah, every, exactly. every year. You know, it seems like I learned something. I don't, by no means do I think I know it all, you know. Um, I'll be the first to admit I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer, (laughs) so to speak. And, but I've done this long enough. I I have kind of developed a pattern and I know what works. So I kind of just stick to what I know. Mm -hmm. And so every year I, I try to do the same thing and mimic it and just build on that. So, and I don't mind, I, you know, look me up on Facebook, send me a friend request. I'm not, I don't have, I don't have a YouTube channel. I want to get one. Right. And if I do, it's going to be Simple James. Okay. That's going to be my <laughs> YouTube channel. It's a good name. And, um, but yes, I mean, I'm on Facebook, send me a friend request. And, you know, if you ever get drawn for 
Panasofsky or Green Swamp West, I'll I don't have an issue. Yeah. I'll if I can, I'll take you in there and, and uh, show you a tree to climb. <laughs> right. Well, that, and I think that's part of the the hunter uh, process is you get to a point where you just want to share what you know to help others get involved in the sport as well because we we got to keep the sport growing. We don't right. want it to at one point where we got a bunch of people that don't hunt anymore and then they take it away from us. Right. Um, so that's great. Well, let's talk about the deer in the room here. We've got this deer in your room that really stands out in your room that you were able to take in Florida in 1999 over 200 inches. I mean, that, I mean, you talk about a deer of lifetimes. That's right. not even yes. a deer of a lifetime. That's like deer of lifetimes uh, in the in the state of Florida. I think you mentioned what it, it gross score like 212 or 214? 212 and nets 206. So. Nets 206. And it's got, I mean, it's just got stuff everywhere. It's got pretty much, it's got a split brow. It's got drop tines. It's got just stuff going all over. How many scoreable points did it have? I believe he has 25 scoreable. <laughs> he's a typical 10. So he's, his frame is a 10 point frame. As a 10 point, he scores 151 and change, 151 and three eighths as a 10 pointer. And then the rest of the inches are the non-typical points. Right. So he grosses 212 and nets 206. So he's in the book at 206. And the previous state record, I believe, was 204 by uh, taken from by Larry Durrance. Okay. Back in the 40s, up in the Panhandle. Oh wow. And so I killed him September 25th, 1999, opening day of the archery season, and uh, so 21 years ago. And he's <laughs> uh, thankfully he's still the current uh, present state record. Right. You know, but if uh, the person that breaks it, records are meant to be broken. I'd love to meet them and shake their hand and tell them congratulations and right. kind of give them some uh, pointers, you know, and, and tips and be prepared for the haters. Cause <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's haters out there. For sure. And uh, rumors, you know, rumors will start and all that. So anyway, um, yeah, September 25th, uh, 1999, uh, killed him out of Green Swamp West which is uh, 14 miles. The gate's 14 miles from the house here. Yeah, I passed it on the way here. Yeah. <laughs> and it was the first year that that was open to the special opportunity hunts. And that's okay. when you apply over the summer. I think it's June. Right. You apply. It's $5 an application. Um, you can apply up to spend up to $495, I think, per hunt. If you're drawn... If you're successful, they'll notify you. Um, you log in your, through FWC, my, myfwc.com, log on to your account. You know how, you know how it goes. You yeah. find out what you're drawing. If you're successful in your draw, then you pay $100 for the four-day permit, and then they mail you the permit, and then you go in. So back then, in 99, I wasn't even gun hunting then. Of course, I'd gun hunted, but I was so involved and deep into archery i didn't even apply for the three gun hunts the very first year i applied for the first the two archery hunts and got both of them oh wow 
So if I would have applied for the gun hunts then, more than likely I would have gotten one, two, maybe three of them, right. all of them. So um, I knew it was going to be open. I applied, was drawn, I scouted through the summer, all through the summer. And back then, you know, it was it was better hunting back then, obviously, because it hadn't been open in a while. So, but still, there weren't deer behind every tree. Right. So, I scouted all summer, uh, found, uh, located several bucks in the registry, you know, over 100 inches. Yeah. And they were all in velvet, and they were all bachelored up when I was seeing them. And, but it was just... I'd heard rumors of the quality of bucks that were in there, and I was like, man, I, I want to find a better buck. So I kept going. Well, it was the week before the season. It was a Monday, and the season opened the next Saturday. So I went in there um, right after daylight to an, a new area, and I walked in, and coming off of this uh, blackjack ridge, crossing a fire trail, was a bunch of big tracks. And I said, man, this has got to be a bachelor group. So I turned and I started following those tracks. And they took me through some scrub oaks, uh, scattered palmettos. And it was a lot, it was a sandy, like a long sandy ridge. And in the leaves, I would lose the tracks and I would just zigzag like a a beagle trying to pick (laughs) up a a trail. And I would pick the tracks back up. And those deer were on a set pattern, had been on a set pattern because when I would see the tracks, the tracks were old and fresh tracks going both directions. So I just kept on the fresh tracks, and that took me to another fire break several hundred yards up. And on that fire break, maybe a six, eight, ten foot section on that fire trail, the sand was just soft. Right. All the other sand was hard and packed, and they had crossed there so much that, I mean, it was just, the sand was just sandy. Mm-hmm. And those big tracks are just crossing back and forth there. So I continued across the fire break, went down in there about another 100, 150 yards, and they had gone in there, and it looked like they had bulldozed a bunch of scrub oaks, Blackjack Oaks did some bulldozing work maybe a year prior or something because there were a lot of low, like knee, thigh high um, blackjack oaks. Okay. And they had clusters of acorns on them. Hmm. And the deer were, that bachelor group was in there feeding. So here it is an hour after daylight. And I'm just standing there, I'm like, man, there's tracks all over the place. And I look up, and my buck is standing there about 30 yards away with his head down in the thigh-high scrub oaks, right. blackjack oaks, whatever they were. And I could just see points sticking up, and he lifted up his head, and I just I couldn't believe it. And I thought... That's what I'm looking for, right. <laughs> obviously. You know. And I could hear him chewing, crunching on those acorns. Okay. And he's just looking around, um, swings his head back around, and he 
scratching his side with one of his drop tines, <laughs> um, going back feeding. And I watched him for probably 10 minutes, him walking around feeding. And then all of a sudden, he, I guess he caught wind of me. And he snapped to alert. And he started walking off. You know how they'll pop their front leg hoof down with every uh-huh. step real hard and quick and started bobbing his head well he walked off went around a a flag pond and then stood over there about 100 yards looking back my direction and then turned and just dissolved into this over your head gallberries and palmettos with a couple of oak trees it was like a little island of the gallberries thick palmettos and oaks that protruded out to that uh, pond area well we talked about bedding area well that's where that bachelor group was hanging out okay so he was solo that morning so i immediately picked out a tree i said well this is they're feeding so i picked out a pine tree came home got a stick ladder and a lock on went back out there pedaled back in parked my bike and this was 12 o'clock, 11.30, 12 o'clock, middle of the day now. I'm walking in, stick ladder in one hand, lock on in the other, hot. I'm walking in. I get about 60, 80 yards from that same spot. I look up, and all four of them are right there feeding on those blackjack oaks, right where he was early that morning. And all it was him probably a 130 inch 10 point wow a mid-teens eight point and then probably a 105 inch eight point <laughs> and they're all just standing there looking at me and then they just turn and start flagging off running flagging and they run across that flag pond and go right into those that same little point with the over your head gallberries uh-huh. and i'm like shoot well, now they know they're being pressured. But I hung my stand, came out, didn't go back in there until the following Saturday opening morning. Got back in there, uh, first one at the check station, checked in, got back in there, got climbed up. It was a full moon. I had, I'm assuming it was these four bucks, and I had a camera then. Because mm-hmm. I told my wife, I said, I don't know if I'm going to kill him, but I want to get a camera and get him on film, even if I don't, because he's the biggest thing I've ever seen. Right. So I had a little Sony, you know, camcorder yeah. and a camera arm, and I'm mounting that camera arm to the tree, and I hear something, and I look behind the tree underneath me. Like I said, it was full moon. It was real sandy right in there. And... I could make out one buck walk underneath me, and I could tell he had a rack. And they just kind of walked under me, and the other ones I couldn't see, but I could hear them moving through. And they were just going in the direction of that flag pond and that point where I saw them twice go before. So I think that bachelor group walked through before daylight. I sat all day. Saw a doe late morning. Middle of the day, it sounded like horses moving around out there in those in that thicket. 
Uh-huh. And I think they got up and were just walking around, and I could just hear them, which was 150 yards away. So knowing that he was in there or, you know, in that area, I wasn't coming out. It was I was dedicated all day sit. So I sat all day early, um, about 4, a thunderstorm came through, and it was a pretty good one lightning and dark clouds pretty heavy rain and i just sat through it took the camera off put it in my little camera bag underneath my seat just hunkered down and rode the storm out and my favorite time what i've noticed my favorite time over the years afternoon hunts right after a hard rain about an hour before dark it's almost like a light switch right and deer just animals just start moving after a hard rain right before dark. So that was a scenario that was fixing to present itself, and I knew they were in that area. So storm passed, and there was still some distant thunder, and I look up, and he's over there standing on the edge of those gallberries, and what caught my eye is he was shaking just like a dog after giving him a bath. Right. He was just, his whole body and his horns were shaking. And I was like, holy mackerel. <laughs> so got my camera out of the camera bag, remounted it, was able to get footage of him over there. And then I caught movement, a, a flicker, and there's that mid-teens, 115 or so inch, eight point was over there with him. Well, the eight point, the other two bucks weren't with him then. Well, the eight point, I watched him just start walking, and he made his way up to that crossing, the firebreak crossing, where I'd originally, you know, scouted and right. saw him, found him where they were crossing. Well, he committed and was going to the crossing. My buck was feeding around underneath an oak tree over there, but he kept looking up at the eight point at his buddy. And then he'd go back to feeding. Well, a few minutes, 10 minutes, five minutes later, he started committing and started walking that way. Now, he's about 100 yards from me. And I said, well, he isn't coming by me. I know, I have a good idea where he's going. He's going to that crossing. So stick ladder and lock on. If I was in a climber, I wouldn't have been able to do this. So I grabbed my bow with my teeth, the top limb, and I couldn't do that. I've tried. I can't do it now. But the <laughs> adrenaline. Right. I didn't lower it on my rope. I just grabbed the top limb, swung around, and started climbing down my stick. And at the same time, I'm looking. And once I had to pause because he had his head up. And then when he went back to feeding, I climbed down. Once I got almost to the ground, it was a little hilly there. It wasn't real flat. So I couldn't see him. He couldn't see me. Then I crawled and bent over walking, and I did a little half circle, and I got in front of him, you know, between him and the firebreak crossing. I went as far as I dared to the edge of the the cover, the scrub oaks that was right there. I slowly stood up, and I'm just standing there, face net, gloves, just standing there next to the, the scrub oak tree. And I finally see him, and he's just making his way, making his way. And then I was shooting a single fixed 20-yard pin. And 
but I'd been practicing out to 50 yards and I knew that the bottom of my sight housing where my level was I was shooting milk jugs down there there's sandy spot on the side of 33 there I was digging out <clears throat> little pits standing up on my toolbox and I would dig out these little pits 20 30 40 and 50 and put a milk jug in those little pits and then I would stand there and shoot those milk jugs from the, my, my toolbox okay. off my back of the truck and the 50 yard milk jug I knew if I put my level the bottom of my site housing right on that milk jug the broadhead would hit the milk jug so that was my 50 yard aiming point right I didn't have a range finder and I was like man he's he's out there about 50 yards so <laughs> I just drew back held the bottom of my site housing right on him shot and spined him his rear end dropped first dropped he collapsed and instantly his head was coming up and he's trying to dig you know with his front legs uh-huh. well that eight pointer his buddy that was with him i never saw him prior to me taking the shot instantly boom 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 like two jumps and that eight pointer is standing over my buck as if to say, you know, what's going on, dude? You know, right. what what's going on? And I hollered. I jumped up and let out a wahoo. And instantly that eight point darted back in the direction that they came from. So, and I could see my deer trying to get away, digging with his front legs. So I knocked another arrow, ran out to about, 30 35 yards from him first shot was 53 what i stepped it off okay and took another shot probably from 30 35 yards as he was quartering away and it hit him like the right behind the last rib and it exited his brisket so it went right up through right the goodies yeah and then he collapsed i laid my bow down ran back to the tree climbed up got my camera turned it on was crying you know (laughs) couldn't believe what just happened right gathered my stuff climbed back down walked out there to them and um set the camera up got around in front of them and on the recovery so that's how it went down wow that's that's a really good story i didn't i didn't realize that you had to get out of your tree stand and put on a little spot and stock action on them guessing the yardage yeah i mean range finders weren't that big back in no 99 (laughs) 99 Heck, even when I first started hunting, though, I don't think I was using a rangefinder back in 07. But that buck now, you told me when I got here, is at the Bass Pro Shops in Missouri, right? Right. So in around 2001, Bass Pro bought him, purchased him. Um, I was contacted by Bass Pro. They try to acquire every state record for their whitetail museum in Springfield, Missouri. So they purchased him. Our I believe in 2001, maybe late 2000. And so the original buck is in the Whitetail Museum in Springfield, Missouri, which is, I think, their home, you know, Bass Pro's home. Right. And then I, I believe all the Florida stores have a replica in it. And I know some of the other states throughout the country, or some of the other Bass Pros throughout the country, they have replicas in them as well. 
and he's also part of the Bass Pro King of Bucks tour. Oh wow, that's neat. So they uh they came and actually did an interview uh around oh three, oh four and it was on their King of Bucks T V show, so that was pretty cool. We yeah. actually had to get permission from FWC and FWC's PIO went out there with us. We went out to the exact spot, did an interview at the exact spot where I killed him. Okay. And uh you know, basically just went through and told the told the story and so that was that was pretty cool. Wow. Is there any anywhere anybody could find that now? Is that like on YouTube or anything? You know, like I said, I don't have a YouTube channel. I'd like to get one. Um or that episode? Like is that episode out anywhere? I have I believe I have one copy of that of the original oh, okay. tape. Right. I've got the original footage and but I had some DVDs made. Back then they were DVDs. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people, what's a DVD? <laughs> but you know, I did some shows, uh deer hunting shows and stuff, um, for several years after it became the official record and I sold the the DVDs at the booth and stuff. And to be honest, I I can't find a copy. <laughs> right. So, you know, as big a deer as he is and as significant as he is, you know, it, to me it's just a, you know, it's a deer. And I'm proud proud of him. But, you know, I don't walk around like a peacock. Or right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. it's, it's a special deer. And, you know, I'm proud to have him. And it still seems surreal, you know, what he is. Yeah, I bet. I mean, he definitely he stands out for sure. He's beautiful, beautiful buck, no doubt. But then you've got a wall that's got a bunch of night really good Florida bucks that anybody would like to to take out in Florida. So you've uh, and it's weird because, like I said, you killed a two hundred and six inch, two hundred twelve inch deer in Florida, and a lot of people are like, well, what does he do now? He's like, he's 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 reached the pinnacle no. of the biggest deer that you can kill in Florida, but you love it so much, it doesn't matter. Yeah, like, it does. You go out and kill a 200 every year, you're still going to go out and try to get on the next one because that's part of, to me, that's part of the game. That's part of the, the chase that we're all kind of after for the most part. Yeah. Just, I, I actually like more putting the pieces of the puzzle together than I actually, than actual, the actual killing of the deer. It's more about the whole process. Before we did this interview, when you told me you wanted to do it, I kind of added up. I have roughly 50 to 60 hours of scouting prior to a four-day hunt is about what wow. I put in to those hunts. So, and I still get, I'd rather shoot a, a doe with my bow than, you know, a, a bigger buck right. with my rifle. Right. You know, I love bow hunting. I, I get a, emotional, all worked up, dry heaving. <laughs> Um, and I still feel that way when I shoot a doe, you know, it, and it doesn't have to be a big buck. I, like I said earlier, I enjoy the pursuit, the leading up to the hunt. Um, I've, I'll pass a bunch of nice deer on these special four day hunts, but you know, like I said, they're the future shooters, right? You know, they're fine deer, you know, and a lot of people, I'd be happy with them, but I, I don't have to kill one to for it to be a successful hunt for me so yeah, yeah but i still get excited on shooting a doe or a 90 inch 
Buck. I'd... <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of your uh, Facebook videos. Yeah, uh, so, like the after the fact, and it's uh, it's just raw emotion. You, yeah, you're pumped, yeah. excited, everything going on at the same time. Well, I am glad you decided to come on the podcast. Well, thanks uh, for having me. When I called you, I was like, "Well, I hope this guy wants to wants to say he'll be a guest because I'm looking forward to uh, hearing the story." And I mean, obviously, part of the reason I wanted to come down here was to see to lay eyes on that buck as well. But you've just had so much success in the woods since then. Um, it was good to be able to come down here, and I always like doing the podcast in person, anyways, because I feel like well, you just get more out of it. Uh, it's just being in the same room with somebody as opposed to over the phone. And it was good to get to hear the stories of all your bucks right when I when I first got here, kind of kind of get to uh, uh, know you. Um, is there anywhere uh, people can find you, like Facebook or anything like that? Just uh, Facebook, James Stovall on my uh, I guess main main page. Okay. There's a picture of myself and my family in front of a fire truck. I'm a right. I'm a firefighter like you, yep, as you know. Yep. <laughs> and the main picture is uh, my wife and I, and okay. I have a November rut hat on, and then uh, the little round picture of my family in front of the fire truck, James Stovall. Um, right. Yeah, shoot me a friend request, look me up, and um, I'm just a average overweight guy. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're ever in the area of Tampa or Lakeland, um, Adventures Archery is a great archery shop some great people you and i are fixing to head up there there. and sling some arrows and and i'll introduce you to jared and he's he's great all the techs up there are great and just shoot often and keep practicing and you know put boots on the ground and everyone's getting excited for the upcoming season that's rapidly approaching yep 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 well uh, i'm going to close this one out And I hope that uh, this podcast and story inspires you to get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. Well, I appreciate it. One of the most legendary shows in the outdoors is on Waypoint TV. Don't miss Primo's Truth About Hunting, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. fun to go like just full-blown redneck on these fish. This is like high-tech cane pole fishing right here. From the white sandy beaches to the crystal blue waters, enjoy the best fishing Panama City Beach has to offer during Chasing the Sun, Sundays at 9.30 a.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.